All right, everybody. How are we feeling this morning? We good? Excited to be here today? Kind of excited to be here today. Maybe because some of you are still sleepy from the thunderstorms that came through this morning, maybe. I don't know. But listen, I'm honored to get to hang out with you guys today. I also want to welcome all of you watching live with us online right now. It is just awesome. If I've not met you, my name is Matt Powers. I serve here as a teaching pastor and one of the elders at Cultivate Church. And we are in week two of Summer Sundays. If you've been around Cultivate for any length of time, you know every July we do this series, Summer Sundays. And the cool thing about this series is that it's not tied to really anything. It's not tied to any kind of central theme or central message or anything like that. It's just an opportunity where you're able to hear from a lot of different people, both inside and outside the church. And last week, we were able to have like a Q&A panel type message at both of our campuses, which was really, really cool. Then today, you guys get me, and I've got something that I've got for you guys. And just to be honest with you, when Pastor Brandon Matthews came to me and asked me, said, hey... Would you want to speak on the 16th at Alabaster? Of course, whatever we want to do. Uh, what do you want to talk about? Like, what, what are we going for? What are we kind of thinking of? You know, what's going on? He's like, I don't really care. Do whatever it is you want to do. Whatever message, whatever format, whatever stories, any of it's perfectly fine with me. Just do whatever it is you want to do. I thought, well, this is awesome. This is an opportunity where I can maybe use some of these notes that I've taken in the past because... I have an app on my phone which keeps notes, and if something pops into my dumb brain that I think might be cool one day, I kind of type it in there so I don't forget about it, or I read something or hear something or anything like that. I want to keep it because I'm thinking that could be a good message or illustration, or maybe someone could benefit that from one day. So a couple weeks ago, I started really preparing for this, and every time I got ready to do something... It just didn't seem to work. I was like, man, we have so many cool things. Like, I was ready to bring things out and, like, build something really cool or have things we could throw back and forth. I had a lot of really cool ideas, but felt like every time we were going to get ready to prepare for it, God was like, eh, I don't think that's the best idea. Let's, let's pump the brakes there. Okay, God, what about, what about this? Uh, powers, that's probably the dumbest idea that anyone has ever come up with. Let's not ever do that. Just delete that off completely. I was like, God, what? In the world are you doing to me? I mean, I'm running out of time. i got to think of something that we're going to talk about here. Why in the world are you just shooting down all of my hopes and dreams? I mean, who do you think you are? God of the universe. That's who I am. Okay, I'm sorry. And it was last Sunday. I still had nothing. I was talking to Sanchez Tannehill, who was up here uh, on the worship team just to the right of me. And I was like, Sanchez, I don't know what we're going to do. Like, maybe you and I just get up there and we just talk. Like, we just have a conversation about whatever. That might be okay, right? Probably not really going to be okay because you really don't know what may come up. And I was like, got nothing. And finally, Tuesday morning, it's like God was finally like, hey, dummy. Like, I've been trying to tell you about this, but you just seem preoccupied with other things. But it's kind of getting crunch time and you really need to, to get down to it. I was like, oh, ho, there it is. There's what we're going to talk about. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 27 today. And the cool thing about this is when... Pastor Brandon Matthews told me, hey, it's whatever you want to do. Listen, I've got no scripture for you on the screens. Uh, it's a blank note sheet, which you still need to take notes because I think God is going to speak to us today. I really don't necessarily have any points at all to, today, but we're going to talk to a story in Matthew chapter 27 today. And as we do that, I want us to have this, this one central question in our mind. Who is Jesus to you? To you, who's Jesus? What does Jesus mean to you? Because as I read through this and I just started thinking about it, got to be honest, I feel that maybe we're just kind of scratching, scratching the surface of what Jesus is really here to do and what Jesus really has to offer every single one of us. 
Because I, I'm here and I'm excited and honored I get to hang out with you. But just being honest, I'm a little anxious today. I have an overwhelming sense of urgency today because I believe that we're, we're maybe missing the mark here and there. And that maybe there's some things in our lives that aren't the way that Jesus would have necessarily organized them. So let's pray today and pray over his word. And we're going to jump right into Matthew chapter 27. God, we love you. And we're just so thankful we get to be here in this room together, watching online together. And we just want to pray over your word. Pray that we'll open ourselves up. We'll open our minds. We'll open our hearts. We'll just be able to hear your words today, God. That whatever avenue of life that we're in, whatever we may be going through, that God, you'll speak to us. You'll bring things to the surface that maybe we haven't necessarily wanted to bring to the surface. Because it's going to be for your good. And we'll give you all the credit whenever you do it. In Jesus' name, amen. So Matthew chapter 27. We're going to be talking about the story of Jesus' trial. When he's there before Pilate, if you don't know who Pilate is, Pilate was the governor at the time, and Jesus is there. He's, on, he's been arrested, and he's there with Pilate. And we're going to start in verse 11. It says, Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you king of the Jews? And I love how Jesus answers this question. He says, You've said so. Like, he didn't say, Yeah, I'm the king of the Jews. You know I am. He didn't say, Well, you know, I mean, you know, maybe people may have misheard me. At some point in time, I don't know if I said exactly, he wasn't trying to defend himself. He wasn't making any real definitive statements. Are you the king of the Jews? He's like, well, I mean, you said it. When accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. So you have all the chief priests, you have all the religious leaders who are talking about how awful Jesus is. This is the worst dude ever. You won't believe what this guy's trying to do. And the pilot's just like, why is he not trying to defend himself? Like, what in the world is going on? He could not believe it. Now, in verse 15, it says, Now it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Barabbas. Now, this well-known prisoner, he's the guy that everyone knows. It's a bad dude, spent some time in jail. All those car break-ins a couple of weeks ago, yeah, that was Barabbas. Broke into the houses, you know, stole stuff from the gas station. That's who this guy is. He's got him. Is he going to be released? So when the crowd gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release? Do you want me to release Barabbas, the well-known criminal over here? Or what about Jesus, who they call the Messiah, who should we release? It says, while Pilate was sitting on his judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man. For I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. Like he knows, he's kind of getting this sense like, you know what, this Jesus guy may be exactly who he says he was. Like, I don't know that he's really done anything wrong whatsoever. I mean, he's not trying to make any definitive statements. I know that it was only for the self-interest and the self-gain of the religious leaders that he's here anyway. And now my wife's telling me, hey, leave this guy alone. Don't do anything to him. And he's getting this sense of it. So it says, but the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas to be uh, asked to release Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. And he says this, which of the two do you want me to release to you? Asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. They want the criminal, the guy they know. That guy, I don't care. This Jesus guy is bad news. We want the criminal who we well know to be released. And then Pilate asked these questions, which if I had a title for the message today, 
I think it would be this. It would be these seven words that Pilate asked the crowd. He said, well, you want this guy released? He says, what shall I do then with Jesus? What am I going to do with Jesus? What do you want me to do with him? So to make this personal today, what shall you do with Jesus? He's here. He's available. He's there for us. What are we currently doing with Jesus, and what should we do with Jesus? Because now the decision's been made. Pilate's going to have Jesus executed, going to have him crucified. And you know that immediately he's got to start regretting this decision. Like, oh, man, that probably was not the best move. (sighs) I don't want to make anyone upset or anything, but maybe I really shouldn't have done that. Have you ever done something or made a decision that you knew was probably not the best decision, but you did it anyways, and it turned out to not work out the way that you thought it was? Maybe you built something up really, really well in your mind, and it just did not work out for whatever reason. You're like, well, that was really underwhelming. I wasn't expecting that. For me, about five years ago, my wife and I went to New York City for our anniversary. I'd never been to New York before, and it was really cool. I like New York a lot. It's great for about three days, and it was fun. Um, But I was like, I got to see Times Square. You see things about Times Square. You hear things about Times Square. All the movies are about Times Square. Come on, the the New Year's Eve ball drop, that's amazing. We're going to do that. So we walk blocks and blocks and blocks to Times Square. We finally get there. I'm looking at it. I'm like, well, that's a beach ball on a stick is all that is. It was about as underwhelming as it could possibly be. All this anticipation. All this planning, all this stuff, it was awful. I kind of wish I didn't make that type of decision. There's a lot better things to do. We want to make the right decision, but man, for whatever, we just don't seem to do it. Paul says this in Romans chapter 7. He says, I don't understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I just continue to do what I hate. Anyone relate to that? Maybe, sometimes, just a little bit, or is it just me? I think we can all kind of relate to those decisions every now and again. So I want to walk through a few things that I noticed that Pilate, the decisions that he made, what caused him to make these decisions. I think that a lot of us are maybe making some of these decisions ourselves. And maybe what can we do to prevent that from happening? So the first thing that we really see Pilate do is he ignores all the signs. Like he's completely ignoring all the signs that he sees. It's right there in front of him. Like he's talking to Jesus. He can kind of get a sense that, you know, Jesus... He's probably innocent. He's probably okay. He's probably who he says he is. I know that these religious leaders, they only want something for themselves. That's all they really care about. I mean, the guy's wife said, hey, don't do anything to this man. He's innocent. And, of course, the husband does exactly what the wife said not to do. All the women said, amen, I know exactly what you're talking about. He's ignoring all of the signs. Why is he doing that? Well, because he can't see things clearly. God throws signs and things right in front of us all the time, and we miss them completely. Why? Because we're wearing these shades. We're having things that obstruct our view. We're wearing these shades of fear and shame and guilt. And, you know, we put these things on, and, man, we just cannot see anything whatsoever. It's awful. It's terrible. I mean, I can hardly see any of you. can't read anything with them. My vision is blurred. I'm not able to see things clearly at all. And we wear these shades of fear, worrying about what culture might think about us, what they might say about us. Man, I just don't want to do that. 
And we ignore all the signs that God's putting right in front of us because we can't see a, a thing at all. And we are making these life-altering major decisions based off of how we feel instead of the truth that we see right here in front of us. So I know I look like an absolute bozo wearing these things right now. But truth is, when we make some of the decisions that we make, we kind of look foolish some of the times. I know I most certainly have. And we look like we're walking around with these big dumb glasses everywhere we go. We can't see things. We're running into things. We're not doing things the way that we possibly should. So how in the world can we stop this from happening? There's a great description of this in 2 Kings chapter 6. The prophet Elisha, he is telling the king of Israel where the armies are going to attack. And that does not sit well with the armies that are trying to attack them. So the story goes that Elisha and his servant are in Dothan, and it's not Dothan at the Peanut Festival Dothan. It's a different Dothan. But they're there in Dothan, and then one morning the servant wakes up. He looks out the window, scratches his eyes, like, oh, my goodness, we're toast. It's over. The armies, they're coming. They found us. They're going to attack us. It's over. It's over. Elisha, Elisha, wake up. Wake up. I know you haven't had your coffee yet, but you got to see this. Elisha looks out the window. And he sees the army that's coming. He's like, man, what's, what's your problem? And he tells the servant this. He said, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. It's like, we got the Lord's army right here. What are you so worried about? What's the problem? Because all the servant is able to see is the impending doom that's coming upon him. And Elisha says a prayer that, let's be honest, if we're in this situation, we're not asking for this prayer at all. We're asking for God, please give us a way out. Is there, is there a car in the back alley that we can get out of here safely? What can you do for us, God? But Elisha prays this prayer. He asks God, he says, open up his eyes so he's able to see what I'm able to see. And just like that, these are gone. It's over. And he's able to see things clear. Oh, like, oh, oh, okay. I guess we're okay. It's as simple as that. I know it sounds silly, but it's as simple as asking God, hey, show up, because I'm not seeing things clearly. So what causes us to see things unclear? Generally, it's because we've taken Jesus, who may be at the center of our heart. He may not, but we've created other idols that are sitting right at the center of our hearts. And they're taking over complete control. And we do this with all sorts of stuff. And let's just be honest here. We're in Alabama, y'all. We're about a month away from college football season. Yay, we're so pumped. And it's awesome. Listen, I like football. I'm a sports guy. I went to Alabama. I'm an Alabama fan and everything. But here's the sad truth. That for five months out of the year, our whole lives are going to be consumed whether our team won or whether our team lost. And here's the deal. When Alabama loses this season, and I know some of y'all hate my guts right now. Alabama's not going to. Have you seen what Saban's doing with this team? It's going to be the greatest team we've ever seen. It's going to win another national championship. Georgia's never going to stand it. That's what you're thinking right now. But when Alabama loses this season, it's likely that they might. I'm sorry. There will be people all over the state, all over the southeast, who will not wake up on Sunday morning to worship Jesus because they're so mad about their football team. Who's sitting at the center of our heart? It's a bunch of 18 to 22-year-old kids playing a game that you didn't play at a school that you didn't go to. They don't know who you are, and it completely alters how you act. Because your team lost, now you're screaming about your, about your spouse about everything. 
It's all your spouse's fault that that team lost. You're treating your kids horribly because your team lost. It completely alters your mood for how you perform at work throughout the week. How you treat your friends, how you treat your family completely changes everything based off the winner of a football game. We don't do it with just sports either. It's not just football. We do it with all sorts of things. And it's where we begin to justify sin. We say things like, I mean, it's not that bad. It's okay. Other people are doing it. It'll be all right. See, we have these different levels of sin, like, oh, well, that's, that's okay sin. That's everyone's doing it, sin. That's just common sin. That's not so bad sin. That's not so great sin. That's sin we probably want to stay away from, but it's not the end of the world, all the way up to just horrific, terrible, awful sin. And we rate these types of sin depending on what's okay and what's not okay. But God sees it from a 30,000-foot view. All sin is is what's separating us from him. That's it. It doesn't matter how we may rate that thing. And we begin to justify it. We'll say things like, it's just, it's just a case of beer every Friday night. It's not that big of a deal. I mean, it's not affecting anything. I'm able to keep my composure. You don't understand the things I go through at work. It's not, not that bad. You know, it's, it's only a couple of joints every now and again. It's, it's, it's not that big of a deal. No one even knows about it. I only take those pills because I'm so stressed out about everything. It just helps me sleep at night. It helps me rest a little bit. That's, that's all that it's doing. I only cheated on my spouse because my husband's not giving me the affection that I need. That's why I cheated on him. This is really his fault. And we begin to justify it. We're always oh, just that one time to, it's only every so often to, and it's just once a week to twice a week to, it just completely consumes our lives. We're not able to see things clearly at all. We're not able to see the signs and the things that God has lined up for us. Why? Because our judgment's completely off. Why? Because Jesus, the only truth that we have, is no longer sitting at the center of our heart. So who is on the throne of our heart today? Because whenever it's Jesus, we're able to see things a lot more clearly. We're not going to ignore all the signs like Pilate did. Whenever he ignored the signs, another thing that he does is he completely caves to pressure. Completely caves to the social pressure. Like, he knows Jesus is, for the most part, innocent, but he's so worried about what the other people might say or what the other people might think about him that he just does not want to cause any trouble whatsoever. I think as we look around our world today, we can kind of relate to that a little bit. We, you know, don't want to make people upset. We just kind of want to take a step back, not say anything. I don't want people to think differently of me. So you don't understand if they find out that I love Jesus. I, I was really popular in high school. They may not think of me like I'm still popular anymore. We run around thinking like that. Paul says this great in Galatians chapter 1. He says, if pleasing people were my goal, oh, I would not be Christ's servant. It's kind of true. If we're only worried about pleasing people, maybe we shouldn't be Christ's servant. We should be only seeking the approval of one. So I don't know about you, but when I get in front of God, I'm really hoping I get that high five. And he's like, well done, bro. Nice job. Well done, my good and faithful servant. We all want to be able to get that. So are we seeking the approval of people? See, there's this misconception that to get into heaven, that we have to do all sorts of things to be able to get into heaven. That our salvation is based off of the things that we do. There's this crazy misconception that we feel like God is just looking at us down here every day and he's just giving us some, some kind of report card. He's looking at us like, hey, you know what, D, I mean, you barely scraped by just by the skin. You almost didn't make it. 
You got a D, but, you know, hey, you, you, know, you got a C. You did okay. You kind of picked it up a little bit towards the end. It wasn't, wasn't too bad for you. Got an A minus. You did really good. Could have been better, though, but, you know, that's okay. Listen, we're all coming to the table with failures. We are. I've got plenty of them. My report card would read F, 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 F. If salvation were dependent on what I've done in my life, I ain't making the cut, y'all. It's not. We come with failures. I've failed. Failed as a husband. Failed as a father. As a business owner. As a friend. Man, I've failed all sorts of places. It stinks. That's the beauty of God. You see, God's salvation, it's not based on us. God's salvation is placed on us. It's placed on us by Jesus. That's why he went to the cross, to be reconciled back to the Father. And when you believe in Jesus, he comes back with kindness to restore. When we look at Peter, you know, Jesus' right-hand man, the night before when Jesus is talking to his disciples, he's like, hey, this is what's about to happen. This is what's going on. Peter steps up all big and bad like, Jesus, I'll never leave you, man. I got your back. You're not going to have to do this alone. I just know Jesus in this situation has to be like, shh, Peter, you're embarrassing yourself right now. Because Peter, you're going to act like you don't have a clue who I am three different times before your alarm clock goes off tomorrow morning. So Peter's like, I would never, ever do that. And sure enough, Jesus gets arrested and Peter's just out there. Someone says, hey, aren't you that Peter guy who was hanging out with Jesus? <laughs> I don't know who you think I am. You have me confused with someone else. That's that, that guy, Jesus, I've got nothing to do with that guy. What a failure, right? What a horrible, awful thing for Peter to do. But our failures don't determine our future. Because it's Jesus who comes back to restore with kindness that Peter, even after that terrible mistake, was the one, the first one, who preached on the day of Pentecost where thousands and thousands of people heard about Jesus and were saved on that day. And it all happened through Peter. He comes to restore. We're not going to cave into peer pressure. I've caved to peer pressure plenty of times. I did two years ago. Most recent time I can remember caving to peer pressure. You see, we got our kids this thing called a stair slide. Um, and what you do is instead of walking down the stairs like a normal human being would, you just place this slide at the stairs. And instead, it's a lot more fun to slide down this thing, at least one would think. We have 18 stairs on our stairs that go upstairs. And my kids do it. My wife does it. It all seems awesome. Like, Dad, you got to do this. It's amazing. You got to do that. I know. I'm way too old and way too big to be sliding down a slide. It's not going to happen. And I'm starting to kind of get, get a little bit from them. They're like, Dad, don't, don't be scared. Are you scared? What are you, a chicken? I'm like, well, you know, I'll do the slide. But I only go halfway up instead. I'm not going all the way up. They're like, no, no, you got to go from the top. Don't be scared about this thing. you got to go from the very, very tip-top, Dad. Come on, Dad. Can't you do it, Dad? Are you afraid? I was like, fine, I will go ahead and do it. And sure enough, I get to the top of the stairs. I'm sliding 45 miles an hour down this slide. <laughs> Whenever I get to the bottom, my feet kick out this little bitty pad that wasn't going to do anything in the first place, and I land right on the hardwood floors, right on my butt. There's no doubt in my mind I broke my butt that day. <laughs> I couldn't walk, couldn't sit. Y'all, I hurt for six months. I knew I shouldn't have. I knew I shouldn't have slid down that thing. It was awful. Terrible decision, but I caved to the peer pressure. No thanks. When we cave to that pressure, we begin to let other things enter into our lives 
to where maybe we're missing some things that we should be seeing, to where maybe we don't make the greatest decisions that we should be making. Why does that happen? Because our priorities are kind of messed up sometimes. Write these down. Priorities. How should we prioritize everything? Number one should be God all the time. Oh, what a church answer, right? Number one should be God. I love my wife more than any other human being on this planet, and she is a clear number two in my life. If you're married, your spouse should be your number two. If you have kids, your kids should be your number three. Number four after kids should be the church. And I'm not talking about just cultivate church because you and me, we're the church. We exist for the world. It's being the hands and feet of Jesus in every single circumstance that we can possibly be in. And then the other stuff after that. I brought a diagram that I want to show you. And this is how the average United States American, 18 and older, spends the 168 hours that they have any given week. You can see that we spend about 28% of our time sleeping and working. This one's kind of troubling. 13.39% of our time is spent on social media. 10.5% of our time is spent on TV. We do have some time carved out for eating and shopping and hobbies and household items and socializing with friends, reading, exercising, spending quality time with our family. You'll see this little sliver up at the top, 0.45% is spent at either church or some sort of religious activity. It's not very much. And I don't know the church answer is, let's bang our fist up here and say, we should cut out everything of our lives and it should only be about Jesus all the time. Who needs to eat? Who needs to sleep? We don't need TV or social media. Get rid of it all and do nothing but read your Bible the entire time. Now, can we create a little margin in there? Yeah, we, we probably all can. Can we cut a few things out and make a little bit more room for Jesus? Yeah, absolutely we can. But I don't think the answer for us, because I get it, we're busy. We have jobs. We've got to pay the bills. We need to sleep. That's healthy for us. You have kids. They take up a lot of our schedules. They just do. So instead of just cutting all that stuff out and just saying it's just going to be Jesus in all these aspects of our lives, I think the only true answer is instead insert Jesus into every single one of these aspects of our lives instead. Instead of just cutting it out, let's just put him in our lives instead. That's a whole lot easier. Let's insert him into our time with our family and our time at work when we exercise. Maybe let's insert him a little bit into the things we watch on television. Maybe some of those accounts on social media that we don't want anyone to know about, that maybe we should stop following some of those. And maybe follow some more biblical Jesus types accounts instead. And just inserting him in parts of our lives. That way we're not going to cave to all the pressure around us to be more like this world. That way we're not going to miss all the things that are all around us. We see Pilate do this. He caves to the pressure. He's not seeing anything clearly. The third thing that he does, he takes no responsibility for anything whatsoever. After he asked that so important question, what shall I do then with Jesus? The cold crowd answers, crucify him. And in verse 23, Pilate says this. He says, why? Why should I crucify him? Tell me what crime this guy has committed. And they don't answer. They don't say anything, at least anything of substance. They don't give a reason at all. They just get louder and say, crucify him. In verse 24, it says, When Pilate saw he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water, washed his hands in front of the crowd. He says this, I am innocent of this man's blood. It's your responsibility. He's saying, not on me. This is your problem. This is your fault. I didn't want to do this. 
takes no responsibility for it whatsoever. I think a lot of times when we make mistakes, it's tough for us to take responsibility. I know I've struggled with it. Everyone struggles with it. We always like to try and point the finger in other directions if it's at all possible. He takes no responsibility for it whatsoever. But you know he had to regret this decision immediately. And we can see on John's account of what happens this, on John chapter 19, verses 19 and through 22, we'll see what Pilate does. So just after this, it says, Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened it to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered this way, what I have written, I have written. Meaning, no, I, I believe this man is exactly who he said he was. I believe I've made a grave mistake. And this is the only way I can try, maybe try to take a little bit of responsibility for what I've done. To let the world know that, yeah, he is exactly who he said he was. He is the Messiah. He is the king of all kings. Now, we don't always necessarily take responsibility, but the great news is that when Jesus did go to the cross, because that's exactly what happened, he took responsibility for every single one of us. It's exactly what he did. Listen, life's, life's, life's tough. Life's tough whenever you don't follow Jesus. It's also tough when you do follow Jesus. When you love Jesus with all your heart, you still go through difficult times. Jesus tells us that's going to happen, that in this world you will have trouble. One difficult thing that's, that's tough for us to chew on when it comes to following Jesus is that Jesus also taught us that he came here to serve and not be served. And let's be honest, we like being served. We like people taking care of us. Feels good. It's nice. But it's not always about us, and that's, that's difficult for us sometimes. But what happened after this? When Jesus walked up to the cross, carrying his cross, he's been beaten, he's been bloodied, crown of thorns jabbed into his head, he's been beaten, had his clothes ripped off, had things thrown at him, spit at him, made fun of, screaming at him, all of that, hanging on the cross, just doing his best to try and breathe. He did all that for you. Yeah, this life isn't always about us, but that, that moment, that was for you. That was specifically for you. That when he was hanging on the cross, he was thinking of you. He was thinking of how you grew up, your childhood, things you went through. Maybe the emotional, the physical, the mental abuse you endured when you were a child. That bully in school who just would never, ever leave you alone. Yeah, he was thinking about those moments. That when you were a teenager just trying to figure out who in the world you were supposed to be, feeling like you just cannot fit in this world whatsoever, he knew exactly what you were going through. He was there for you. He was thinking of you through the divorce, the failed relationships, the struggles, the hurts, the pain, the addiction. He was with you the entire time going through all of that. When he was hanging on the cross, he was thinking about you. And all of those things that have led us to this point, this moment right now, that's all a part of who you are. It's all a part of your story. But the part that we're missing out a lot of the times is him. What shall I do with Jesus? He's there. He's hanging on the cross for me. 
What shall I do with Jesus? The actual true story of your life is that you were once dead in sin, but God sent his son, the creator of the universe, his son to die for you so that you would have hope, so that you would have eternal life, so that you would be able to spend heaven with him. That is what God did. He did it for you. He did it for me. So really, really ask yourself that question. He's here. Jesus is here. He's, we have access to him. What shall I do then with Jesus? So I want to pray for you. If you'll bow your heads and close your eyes, our worship team is going to come back up. and Let's just ask ourselves that question. What shall I do then with Jesus? What have I done with Jesus this, this whole time? Where's he been? He's been right here. And he's just right there waiting for us. Everything that he did, everything that he endured, it was all for you. I know that's hard to grasp, but it was strictly for you because that's who Jesus is. When you ask yourself that question of who is Jesus to me, what am I going to do with Jesus? Listen, if that answer is, I don't know. I don't know. I, 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 I don't know. This is the moment that you're able to completely change all that because he is here. He's right within our grasp. He's saying, hey, I know this looks painful of what I did, but you were worth it. You were worth every single second of it. And I want to spend eternity with you. That's who he is. When we recognize that and we experience that, words cannot explain the difference that Jesus can make in your life. So if that's you, you would just simply say this. You would start today and say, God, today... I've never known what to do with Jesus. But I've made a decision today that I need him. And God, today I recognize that you sent Jesus to die on a cross for me. And today I want to make him my Lord and Savior. I want to make Jesus number one in my life. What shall I do with Jesus? I want to put him at the center of my heart and the center of my life. And Father, for all of us, those of us who have had Jesus at the center, maybe Jesus is at the center, but man, we just can't see things clearly all the time. God, I'm praying that just like Elisha did for his servant, praying that our eyes will be open, that all the distractions, all the noise, all the stuff, that you'll just get rid of it so we can see you clearly. So we can have an impact, not just within our own lives, but the lives of people around us, within our families, our communities, whatever that looks like, God, that we can just be with you and trust you to guide us. That way we're not missing out on the things that you've lined up for us. We're not missing all the signs. We're not worried about what the world thinks. We're only worried about you. God, I pray for those opportunities for every single one of us this week. And whenever you do it, we'll give you all the credit for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Can we honor Jesus together this morning? Come on, y'all.